you bring up your next pretty person I haven't seen in so long? Well, put your hands together for the very funny Moody! Right now, come to the stage is Moody! How are you doing, Moody? I'm going to talk to Moody. Moody! I know who's going to say it's Moody! How are you doing, Moody? Put your hands together right now for Moody! How you doing on Moody? Moody calls me Moody. Make some noise, please! Make some noise! Moody! How you doing? How you doing? How you doing? Everybody calls me Moody. How you doing? I'm Moody. Everybody calls me Moody. Welcome to the Moody Show. I hope you enjoy this episode of my podcast, Being Moody. Episode 2. As you have probably gathered by now, this podcast is going to be story time. I'm going to share some of my favorite stories and try to give you an idea of what it's been like for the last 56 years being moody. I call this first story, My Grandfather's Golden Ring. Okay, so this story starts in 1939 and ends 69 years later in 2008. In 1939, my grandfather was in the army and uh, he told me a story about when he was out stationed, wherever he was stationed, he was rooting around in a bush and he found a golden ring. He brings the ring home. He gives it to me. He tries to give it to me. My grandfather's golden ring. I think I was like maybe 12 or 13. Uh, as I remember it, my, my dad snatched it up. He promised to give it to me when I wouldn't lose it. He did. I was maybe around 18. That was 1998. Nine years later, in 2007, I joined the army. And... By 2008, I'm stationed in Schofield Barracks on Oahu in the Hawaiian Islands. On Oahu, in off-post housing, I'm living in a place called Helamano, and the next-door neighbor of Helamano is a place called Dole Plantation. Mile after mile after mile of pineapples. And I get to thinking about my grandfather's story, and I remember that he didn't say he was rooting around in a bush. He said pineapple patch. He had been picking around in a pineapple patch and he'd found a golden ring, my grandfather's golden ring. And I called my mother and I, as I remember, I asked her something like, you know, where did Gupa, where was Gupa stationed, you know? And I think at the time she was like, I, I don't remember. And I, I said something like, well, if I, if I said it, would you remember it? And she's like, yeah. And I said, it wasn't Schofield Barracks on Oahu, was it? She's like, yeah. I think that was it. I said, you're not going to believe where I'm calling you from. <laughs> that ring that he had found in 1939, I guarantee you less than 200 yards from where I was living, had made the trip from that spot all the way to the other end of the United States in Lexington, Massachusetts, and then returned 69 years later in the hands of his grandson, also in the army, to the very same spot, ring in hand. That's 5,000 miles each way. That ring had traveled 10,000 miles, 5,000 in my grandfather's hand and 5,000 in his grandson's hand. The answer to the inevitable question you might want to ask is yes, I still have the ring. My grandfather passed away before I joined the army. He never saw me serve and he never saw his ring make its way all the way back to where he'd found it. 
I was never able to tell him this story. So I'm telling you. This next story I call Angela Goes to Idaho. I'd like to dedicate it to Angela Black, who has since passed away. And it's, it's too bad because she was a good sport. She was mathematically the most gullible person I have ever met. She was your classic, uh, you know, ditzy blonde. Anyway, one day Angela comes to me and she says she's going to visit Idaho. Not to visit friends, not to visit family, to visit Idaho. Well, typically when I was talking to Angela, if I thought there might be an opportunity to have some fun, I would throw out a test line, if you will, to see if the fish were biting. She tells me she's going to Idaho, and I said, Oh, well, you're going to Idaho. Surely you're going to take in Spudfest. She said, Spudfest? What's that? And I knew I was in. I said, Oh, you know, it's a big festival. They got every kind of fry you can imagine. French fries, curly fries, steak fries, crinkly fries. Mr. Potato Head's going to be there. It's a pretty big deal. As soon as she told me she was definitely taking in Spudfest, this thing took on a life of its own. Then she tells me she doesn't want to go to Idaho because she's terrified of flying. She's never flown before. If you ever have an opportunity to tell a comedian your deepest, darkest fears, I wouldn't. <laughs> she said, I'm terrified to fly. And before I knew what was happening, I had said to her, well, if you're afraid of flying, just tell them that you don't want to be asked to fly the airplane. <laughs> she said, I, and I went on to talk about other stuff. Oh, you're going to love the, you know, there's fields. And she said, she said, what are you talking about? I said, well, you know, there's only three guys up in the cockpit. The other two guys have jobs. You think that one dude is going to fly you all the way to Idaho? Would you, would you drive all the way to Idaho straight without a break? No, of course not. The man's got to go out back and get a nap and maybe make himself a sandwich. <laughs> she said, well, who's flying the airplane? I said, the plane practically flies itself. But, of course, FAA regulations stipulate that there's got to be somebody sitting in the seat. There's got to be a red-blooded pulse in that pilot seat at all times. So they draw on a pool of the passengers. Usually people jump at the chance. It's like winning the lottery. Call out your seat number, and if you want to, you can fly the airplane. Well, by now, Angela's eyes were as big as saucers, and the blood had drained out of her face. She says, I don't want to do that. I said, don't you worry. I got you. I said, when you get to the airplane, standing in the doorway will be a woman probably holding a clipboard or something. Simply tell her that you don't want to be asked to fly the airplane. I also told her there would be times that she would be flying upside down, and wouldn't even know it. She said, for the second time, what are you talking about? I saw planes going like 500 miles an hour. Centrifugal force keep you pushed right down in the seat. I mean, you're upside down, the ice doesn't even come out of your glass. I said, but they can't, they can't call it upside down, you know, because that would freak the passengers out. Uh, they got a real technical airplane term for it. Um, you know, they call it uh, turbulence. <laughs> so big day comes Angela's going to go to Idaho now what I didn't know is that it wasn't just Angela going to Idaho it was her and her boyfriend which is how I know 
what went down that day. He, he came back to me immediately. Anyway, if there was any doubt in Angela's mind about the veracity of my story and what I had told her, completely dismissed by the fact that when they got to the airplane, sure enough, there's the woman standing in the doorway with the clipboard. Angela and her boyfriend walked up to that stewardess and she said, excuse me, I don't want to be asked to fly the airplane. <laughs> so, <laughs> and I'm, you know what? They didn't ask her and they probably didn't serve any alcohol in that aisle either. I don't know. Then, partway through the flight, apparently the uh, captain come on the speaker and he said, I've turned on the seatbelt sign because we're experiencing a little turbulence. And Angela stood up in the middle of a crowded airplane and screamed at the top of her lungs, Oh my God, we're upside down. Now I know what you're thinking. Why? Why, Moody? Why would you do such a thing? Because I'm here to tell you that when her boyfriend came back and told me what had happened... It was like the sun shining on my face. <laughs> I suppose this is as good a time as any to share the story of how I stowed away on an airplane. Yeah, this is pretty recently. I was, uh, I was away on a trip and uh, somehow I missed my flight. I don't know how I missed it. I had been sitting in a chair right in front of the podium where they were announcing the first nine zones to load the airplane. I was just reading a book. But somehow I missed it. Actually stood there in the doorway and watched the stewardess close the door in my face. Just nothing to say, just close the door. So, of course, I ran around. I made the necessary arrangements. They found a couple of three flights that I could get on to much later on that evening. Um, but apparently they missed one because uh, I was making my way around the concourse there and I saw a flight that was going I was trying to get back to Louisville Louisville Kentucky and uh, sure enough there was a plane going to Louisville so I got on it um, because the tickets that I had were scribbled with pen and there was all kinds of notations and little initials and stuff they never actually scanned it they just looked at it and they said go ahead so I get on the airplane and I'm looking around for 27b and uh <clears throat> I get back to row 27, and apparently on this airplane, there is no 27B. That's what it says on the ticket I got in my hand, but of course I'm not on the right airplane. So it goes like 27A, 27C, D, E. Mm, so I found a place to sit down till the fellow that had paid for that seat came along, and then I got up and sat someplace else. And then somebody came along with a couple of kids, and I had to sat, sit someplace else. And that happened two or three times. Eventually, I just found some place to sit that I thought would be out of the way. And then somebody came and needed that seat. I was standing in the aisle, and the stewardess came back, and she said, Do you, you know, can I help you? I said, yeah, I can't find my seat. And I showed her the ticket where in pen it was written, 27B. And we made eye contact. She said, just, just find a seat anywhere, baby. So I did. When the plane took off, it occurred to me that if something, God forbid, were to happen, there is no one that knows I'm on this airplane. I will disappear like D.B. Cooper. One minute I was at the airport, the next minute I was just gone. I should confess that I bring this story up 
probably a lot more often than I should, just about every time somebody tells me, oh, they're not going to let you do that. You're not going to be able to do that. Mm. I stowed away on an airplane post 9-11. I'm pretty sure I can do just about anything. Mm. 